Welcome to the Writer's Room, where funny writers who sit in funny rooms and write funny words for other people finally get to talk. Here's your host, me, Jeff Cicero. My guest uh, on the Writer's Room, the amazing uh, Bill Sheft. We're talking live from the uh, strike line, the WGA strike line at Queens College. A lot of folks don't know. No, it's Keen, a hotbed Keen, of television Keen production. State, Keene State University in yeah. Union, New Jersey. Oh, I, my, I, I apologize. College. I could get <laughs> yeah. an Italian ice. But this is, yeah, and this is a, a, a Ryan uh, Murphy. I think it's a sports show, which is kind of funny. But um, so it's it, it's it's somehow it's uh, Joan Crawford is coaching the Yankees. Is that the, <laughs> is that the cross that Ryan Murphy's making? Uh, Adrian, my late wife Adrian told used to talk about working at Pips and how David Fry, the great impressionist. <laughs> this is a club in New York. This is one of the. This is back in a time when even the New York comics knew. Pips was like was a cut underneath several of the other clubs. But it was the but it was the really the first con. It was before the improv, before in the show. But it wow. was where you went, and so some of the old guys would work out there. And David Fry, who was a big impressions in the sixties and seventies, but had been around a long time. And Adrian was a waitress there. Rodney would work out there, and Adrian would say David uh, Fry loved to rehearse his act in the men's room because of the acoustics right were better she said so you know i'd walk by with a tray <laughs> and i'd hear van hefflin taking a piss <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's I'm bet that that's the first time that phrase has been uttered on this show van hefflin taking a piss that's all brilliant. the dirt count goes full Let's talk a little writer's room at Letterman because I know you were you were in there and some of the this gigs you've been on. Uh, I, I want to touch base on those and I want to touch base on the difference uh, between writing a book and that process versus writing in television. You've got several successful, hilarious books out there. Thank you. Do you have to? What adjustment do you make? Because you're such a gregarious guy. You're a guy who thrives on people contact. You can tell just by talking. But no, but that's no. And but I, I know you in a room. I've worked a room with you, and there's such a great chemistry and a vibe and a boom. You say something, I say something. You say something, I say. Something. How do you take that and then go in a room and just go? That's it. I got to sit down and write by okay, myself. Well, I, 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 you know, I'm going to say you're about. 30% right with your with your assessment of me. I'm like this with you. I'm like this with some with there are some people that flip the switch. I, I am. This is why I stopped doing stand up after 13 years, because it dawned on me that I was an introvert, that I got my energy from within. I didn't get my energy from the audience. So there's a few people that can flipped the switch and I was talking to a guy on the line who he's working on before the strike he was working on the new night court right and I told one of my favorite stories about one of our favorite people Jim Valley one of the greats in a writer's room ever and Jimmy was working on Larry Kett, which was the show after night court 
helmed by John Larroquette. So they're at a taping and there's a break and it's Jimmy and Larroquette at the craft service table. And Larroquette says to Jimmy, hey, that um, that line at the end of the first of act one, not in great taste. And Jimmy says, well, it got a huge laugh. And Larroquette said, Jimmy, you know what the difference between you and me is? And Bowley says to him, I know I'm overrated. And that, <laughs> that that kind of energy. And so if uh. if there's with comics, if it has that thing, the switch will flip with me. And the Letterman writers room is interesting because I, you know, I worked alone essentially 90% of the time. I was working on the monologue and there wasn't a lot of, a lot of time in the conference room because unlike a, a, a weekly show, unlike a series, you know, you're doing, you're working every, you're putting out a show every day. And the, the thinking is wisely that 10 guys working in 10 rooms are going to produce more material than 10 guys in one room. Right. So, so we would meet, we would get room when we were in trouble when we had to come up with something fast or at the beginning of the day, we would get in the room and, and we would throw out ideas. Okay. Do that, that, do that. Okay. We'll see you at noon. And, and that's basically the, the way it went. I don't think that, um, you know, and, and I have been, I mean, you know, you and I, we worked on award shows and things like that. And that's a different, there's a different Vibe, feel. Yeah. In, um, and, and also, you know, it's a little more of a volume business, but it is very different when you're writing a book, because when you're writing, when you're writing, when I'm writing a book, everything slows down and you're, you know, you're not throwing it out to get a reaction from the other guys in the room. You're just trying to inhabit these people that you created. And it's almost you get a little, uh, oh, I get a little lightheaded. And Adrian used to say to me, listen, you need to stop working on your books a half hour before you leave for Letterman. Otherwise, you're going to get hit by a cab. <laughs> and uh, so I just think it's a different state of I think it's just a different state of mind that you can kind of lie, go into. Yeah, that's so interesting. You know, it's that I yeah. always yeah, I always compared it to the the quick twitch muscle of the joke writer versus, you know, the guy, you know, working out for a marathon or, right. you know, trying to set some sort of pace or just sort of letting it come in. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you've got a gap there between uh, Rod Carew and Dave Kingman. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the year that Dave Kingman, he led the NL in home runs. And like the last two days, he got like two hits to finish over 200. (laughs) Why didn't they sit him down at 198? (laughs) Just for the hell of it. Let's talk uh, distractions in the room. And uh, you made me think of it uh, because I do agree. Often, especially when you're on a show that's producing uh, product nightly, 
you don't have the time in a room to sit around and have two or three hours to loosen up. It's guys go in their room, they create the product, then you come out once in a while and have a gang meeting or whatever is needed. And I remember at Dennis Miller, even though we were a weekly show, we felt the pressure because we were essentially a talk show appearing late Friday night. So we felt our jokes had to be better than anything you heard from Monday through Thursday on the other talk. Better and different. Better and different. You had to write the jokes that nobody else had written. Right. So everybody slid into their rooms every day, and it was my job as exec producer to keep them in there and keep them working. And the biggest distraction we had in season one was Dennis, who would come in and, you know, as you know, and often in these situations, there's a conference room and around it are offices. And that's where the writers go. And if you need, you call everybody into the conference room. That's how ours was laid out. Denny would just come in. Guys were already working in their rooms. He would come in, sit in a conference room, and he'd literally just start reading the paper. And he'd just go, hey, Jeff, bro. <laughs> did, you hear, did you see this? Julio Franco had two d- Singers yesterday, you know, <laughs> and then everybody would go, "Uh oh, the boss is here. We better go." And then we would go out, and Dennis is hilarious right. on his feet, and so he would start reminiscing or telling stories or whatever. And I'd go, "God damn, we just blew yeah. four hours." And then he go, "All right, guys, I'm going to lunch," and he'd leave, and everybody'd be happy. And I'd go, "We are a half day short right. now." We're a complete full half day but short. He, but like any so, host, he needed that. I mean, that was the fuel. Yes. And that was the fuel that he had to burn off there. And and that was, the, you know, I know exactly. Yes. Then he got a movie role and he had to be out of town. So we just had to fax him this stuff. And, and I think think i worked it just right where finally about two weeks into the movie shoot he said hey jeff from my time's coming to an end on the movie here but uh, i like this fax thing why don't i just go to santa barbara <laughs> and i said finally oh, i'm God. not losing a day and a half a week <laughs> right and no can't resist dennis when he's in a room he's so freaking funny you have to and you know if I could channel it, if I could have channeled it into topical stuff, we'd have been there, but I could never do that. So so then when he got comfy being out of the room, then he got more movie roles and got other projects and stuff. Right. And we just developed a system where I would send him stuff. And then I developed a system where I would send him Monday's jokes on Thursday because inevitably everybody in that situation, every star in that situation who's hosting a show says – gets the jokes from Monday, Monday night, and says, these are great. By Thursday, he's burned out on those jokes. Right. He wants new jokes. Right. I just would send crap on Monday and send the the jokes from Monday that I knew were aces. I'd yeah. send them on Thursday. No, that's the move. That's – no, and it's all – and that – it just takes so – it takes years – to kind of weave in and out and the energy gets different you know dave um you know he stopped um going to rehearsal at after 9 11 for whatever 
season. And, you know, the Stengels would, you know, they would sit in for him at rehearsal. And all it was was about the blocking. And then he would be that much kind of readier and sort of man on the on the cliff a little bit. And he liked that. He liked that energy. Yes, absolutely. Most good guys do. You know, they'll get that written, written stuff as their safety net. But they want to be able to fly over that, knowing they got a safe place to land, knowing they got great jokes. Right. And, and, and Dennis, it's the same thing as like, you know, as I, and I always said this about Letterman, is that we wrote some really good stuff. We wrote some pretty good stuff. We wrote some stuff that sucked. But invariably, the, the funniest moments on the show were Dave reacting in the moment. Right. You couldn't write, but no. ideally and you experienced the same thing with Dennis, you would put him in a position where he was comfortable enough to yeah. sort of go off in that moment and, right. and create that moment. And that's all that that is. And that's, yeah. that's the why best... it's, a very, it's a very different animal than, than working on a series. You know, working on a series, I mean, it's all about where everybody is at the moment and, you know, Larry David, when he was doing his play on Broadway, he couldn't believe that he had to say the same things at the same time in the same way every night. Wow, that must have killed him. And he would say to me, he said, I was in the army. This is worse. You know, <laughs> really? <laughs> but he could He had to do it the way he, the, the, you know, he was not in charge. Yeah. That is hard, and that's why that spark has to be preserved in any host from Dennis to Letterman to Ellen DeGeneres to whoever's hosting and has that comic instinct in them. That's why the beginning of almost any podcast that I'm doing, even here, even on this level, which is below single a ball it's independent ball my podcast it's saint paul saints okay even in this one i hear you start on something even this podcast i went save it let's start rolling save it for that because you have that button in your head that goes "Ooh, ooh, that could be good we might tangent off of that into something crazy and you have to feed that in your host, whoever that host is. And the best written material we ever did for Dennis ramped him up so that when that guest came out, the best shows we had were guests who could fire as fast as Dennis, from Jim Carrey to uh, Robin Williams. Those were our first two Emmy shows. And the best we could do was ramp the monologue and the, and the rant to a point where whoever's in the back, Jim Carrey or, or Robin, is thinking, hey, who's getting these kind of laughs? I got to amp my game. And they came out amped up and ready. And then Dennis is like, hey, this is my st- – let's go. And then it just it just literally caught fire. It's, 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 it's not, you know, it's not that you – yeah, you help the guy. But what you do, I think – is you ideally make the guy eligible to do, to be his best self right. out there. And that's nothing any of us could, could write. 
that's nothing any of us, you know, so just to get, get him to a point where he's eligible to be as good as we all know he is. That's interesting because you did that. That was essentially the heart and soul of what you did with Dave. You wrote monologue, but you also were his Drew Bundini Brown. You were yes, real, in the, yeah. you know, you were really the guy who said, I got to get him to a place where I know his vibes. I know his ticks. I know when he's going to show me he's ready to go. How do you approach that? There's got to be a lot of nonverbal communication going on there too. Well, there were a couple of, there were a couple of um, physical things that uh, I would do. I would space them out every once in a while that referred to stories I had told him or we had told each other that would just kind of loosen them in the moment. All of a sudden, uh, no, I like I I used to um <laughs> every once in a while we'd be working on the monologue, and you know Dave and Jay they were very close when they were starting right. out, and he really admired Jay. So I would just with sort of one word when we were working on the monologue, refer back to the Jay that he was very fond of where we would be and just in the middle I would go, you know Kirk, and I would go <laughs> to the Star Trek bit of his you know, Kirk would give his friends two knowns and then an unknown. He would say well I'm sure you men are all familiar with the works of Aristotle, Plato and Cremus from Remulac 7 and that was, but I wouldn't even do that. I would just say, you know, Kirk, and that was it. And it was just sort of okay. It would loosen him up uh, a little. And uh, what's the uh, thing? Oh, well, I remember. And this this story has a, a bit of a sad, <laughs> sad, a little pathetic. And so one time, uh, I I'm up there, and occasionally I would do the. Uh, Red Fox. I would do the end of the famous Red Fox at the Sahara. Yeah. You know, this I know the show You know, Red Fox, ladies and gentlemen. So one day I kept doing that as we were doing them. And and Dave, because I hadn't done it a long time, and Dave was tickled by it. And so I must have done it a little too close to the taping, because now he comes out for his warm up. And he's talking to the audience, and he starts doing this five. I'm not doing an old show for five people. It's Red Fox at the Late Show at the Sahara, and there were five people in the audience. And they played him on at full orchestra, and the band plays him on. And he does that. Red Fox, ladies and gentlemen. So he he does that in the warm up. The audience doesn't know what he's talking about, so he explains it to the audience. So I figure, okay, he's gotten that out of the system. Well, now the show starts. He does the monologue. He goes behind the desk. And I think he decides, I don't, I'm not interested in this act, too. So he leans into the mic and he says, there's five people. And then Paul goes, you know, ah. So Paul knows the story. Right. So now Dave sets the whole thing up where he says to Alan, he says, okay, you're the announcer and your line is the Sahara. Our hotel is proud to present, you know, 
ladies and gentlemen, Red Fox. Paul, you and the band do the Sanford and Son theme. And so it's, you know, ladies and gentlemen, Red Fox. And the band, da 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 And Dave leans up to the mic at his desk. There's five people here. I ain't doing no show for five people. Alan, Red Fox, that band. And, of course, the audience loves it because they've been let in on Dave's world. And it's a whole thing. And, again, the thing I talked about, okay, now he's ready to start the show. We're 10 minutes in, and he's going to start the show that he has set out to do. And it was, it was great. And it was, it was so great. And then, of course, a week later, uh, he gets the message. Billy Crystal is in Australia. He is desperate to get in touch with you. Yeah, okay, Billy Crystal, he's a friend of the show. <laughs> and you know how this is going to end. So Dave, he's waiting, and it's whatever. It's 1982 over in Australia, and here comes the phone call. And it's Billy Crystal, and it's, you know, it's a trans-Pacific phone line. And he says to Dave, I hear you're doing my Red Fox story. <laughs> Dave says to him, Billy. That's not your story. Every comic tells that story. Well, I was in the audience that night and then says to Dave, and let me do it for you now because I think I do it a little better than you. And now Dave's <laughs> got to be the audience. So that's when I say it has a bad ending. That's <laughs> but, but that was an example. That's hilarious. Just keep him loose. Yeah. Keep the guy loose. And that's what that was. That was that. Uh, yeah. When did it ever go haywire? When did you go, oh, man, that uh, I either couldn't get him out of a funk he was in or I did the wrong loosening up at the wrong time or he just didn't want to have anything to do with. When was the night when you went, oh, brother? But, well, there were there were many of those. But, you know, when you work for a guy for so long and, and I was lucky enough to have 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 made him laugh a lot you 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 went beyond going to the left where you just wanted the stare you wanted because this and the stare meant i i know how funny what you said just is but i'm not gonna let you win and one time <laughs> i was in his office we were working on the monologue and he was not in a good mood and i said um what are you doing this weekend and he says me, <laughs> me, Altman, George Miller, and Bob Sarlot are going to Vegas. And I said, oh, the rut pack. <laughs> and he got up and left his own office. <laughs> <laughs> left his own office. <laughs> that one hurts, yeah, man. Yeah. So that was... You know, good line, bad decision. Man, uh, do you have? Do you feel like you also serve the purpose? Because this is kind of unique, and I'm looking at it from the outside. But you, you may have absorbed a lot of that initial Dave Letterman energy and focus to allow the rest of the staff to keep working on something some you know what i mean i know that often with dennis i would sort of sense 
a mood or something or know it just know because he would touch base with me when he came in and i would go you know what i'm gonna go in and pour water on this for about an hour and let these guys keep writing yeah are are, are you asking me are there times when i was you know sent in to handle the reactor core <laughs> you know to put on the yeah. big gloves and, you know, I, were, were, were you or Jack Lemon walking, yeah, right. That's right. walking and, into the China syndrome. <laughs> but I think that there were, I mean, you know, I think that there were other times where, of course, I got away with stuff that other people couldn't get away right. with. You know, right. I tell this story about um, where um, I say to him, when we're having my life one day, and I say, uh, how you doing? He says, well, I went to the ophthalmologist today. I said, how'd it go? He says, well, he said I wasn't producing enough tears. And I said, have you thought about working for yourself? <laughs> and then got the stare. <laughs> Might have left the room. And But I mean, to me, it was I mean, I it was I mean, I'm on, you know, I was felt honored that he trusted me. Um, it was a big responsibility. I, yeah. I mean, I think that I got some benefits. I know I got some benefits that other people didn't, but still to this day, we talk, I talk to him like once a month and I know when I'm going to talk to him, I, I, I gotta, I gotta prepare. I gotta prepare a good, you know, a good set, you know, a solid <laughs> I gotta come in. I gotta come in hard. Yeah, you know, and this isn't panel stuff. This is strong stand-up stuff. You got to be ready with. You can't come yeah, in right. with, with a third-act right. anecdote. You got to have right. real shit. Right, and 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 you know that's 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 fine. You know the 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 pay the pay isn't what it was, but that's but that's fine, and that's I understand. You know, and uh, I mean, I don't know how often you talk to Dennis, but I think, you know, I don't have the relationship with anybody that I have with him. And I know he doesn't have the relationship with anybody right. that he has with me. Yeah. And so that's that's just fine. And, and, and so I don't there's things I expect from other people. I don't expect from from him right. and, and that's a good way to put it there are things that i expect from him that i could never expect from anybody else just in terms so that's you know yeah. and that's the value because you know you go through it you know we're all you know when we work on these things you know we're all these vietnam vets and we all have these stories you know and and i always, i often say this about stand-ups you could you could be in dfw and have like a three-hour layover and be you know what what am i going to do what am i going to do and then a guy with a bag sits down across from you and he looks familiar and and you realize that you're both comics and you've never met and then you'll start talking and that three hours is just going to fly by yeah yeah because you know that guy oh he's a dick you know that guy oh no he's not a bad right. guy but he wasn't you know and it's three hours of that yeah yeah, there's and it's so a definite foxhole mentality. And to survive it, folks, 
You need the talent of Bill Sheft, the thick skin of Bill Sheft, and the balls the size of Gibraltar that uh, Bill has. Uh, Bill, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for my pleasure. My pleasure. Good uh, to see you, Bob. The, uh, the, the visceral quality of the strike line at King's yeah. College. Now, who is, if the strike line had a sponsor, who would that sponsor be? Oh, man. Oh, man. You know, I got to go with, uh, let's see, who's our sponsor for the strike line at King's College? Mm, man, oh, man. It's going to have to be, uh, let's see, uh, Rolling Hills Beer. It's granite filtered for your protection. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right. Thanks, thanks so much Al. for coming on. My pleasure. Here's, yeah. the, here's, the, here's my people. There they are. <laughs> Love it. All right, buddy. Take care. Later. Bye-bye.